You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Well, today we're going to continue our series seven. We're walking through the seven statements of Jesus on the cross, kind of through this Lent season, reflecting upon the things that Jesus said as he hung upon the cross. Um, A lot of people will do this on just Good Friday. They will go through the seven statements of Jesus on Good Friday. Um, We decided to use seven weeks leading up to Easter Sunday to talk about these seven statements. And we're on statement four, so we're on part four. Um, We walked through the first three statements. Um, The first one where Jesus prays this prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, The second statement where Jesus makes this promise to the thief on the cross that today uh, you will be with me in paradise. And then last week was an interesting phrase that Jesus spoke to his mother uh, Mary and to John the disciple where he says, woman, behold your son. And to John, he says, behold your mother. And we talked about how God was creating and Jesus was creating this new family that transcends the sort of natural born family into this, this spiritual family in the kingdom of God. And today is the fourth statement of Jesus. And we've been sort of setting the, sta- the stage for this whole series with uh, an anchor text out of Matthew sixteen twenty four, where Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to become my follower, if anyone desires to come after me, he said, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so whether the disciples really, I don't think that they fully understood what he meant when he said that to them. We now, you know, hindsight's 2020, they say we can look back and, and connect the dots here and see that Jesus was calling his disciples in that moment to what we would call the cruciform life or a life that is shaped by the cross. That is, we lean into this idea of the cross. So we lean into the idea of, of the forgiveness of of. of you know, what people have done to us, the trespasses or the ways in which people have sinned against us. We lean into this idea of um, of uh, being with Jesus and, and opening up the table for for even the thieves, the, the worst among us to have a spot at the table to be with Jesus, like Jesus did with the thief on the cross. Uh, we lean into this idea of the cruciform life where we we participate together as a family, not based off of our own preferences, but on the fact that Jesus binds us together as a spiritual family. Today's an interesting statement and perhaps one of the more difficult um, statements. It is the central statement of the seven statements, um, and, and we're just going to get into it. So interestingly, this is a statement that is recorded both in Mark and in Matthew. I'm going to read it out of Mark chapter 15, verses 33, uh, let's see, 33 through 34, I guess. Um, but you can also read it in Matthew 27, 45 through 54. They're essentially the exact same telling of this statement of Jesus. And here's what it says. It says, now when it was noon, again, I'm in Mark 15, verse 33. Now when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Around three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? This is the fourth statement of Jesus. And in this moment, we find this really difficult and very, very dark moment, perhaps the darkest moment on the cross. And I want you to prepare your heart for this message because this message is probably going to be a little bit heavy. Um, I think too often we want to rush to the resurrection and we skip through the difficult moments of the crucifixion. And so today's might feel a little bit heavy. And so I want you to prepare your heart even now um, for that moment, for what you're going to sense maybe in your heart. There's hope in this statement, but it is a difficult and dark moment on the cross. Matter of fact, before we go any farther, let's just pray for that. Lord, we pray you would soften our hearts to hear the hope in this phrase, in the statement that you made from the cross. Holy Spirit, that you would come and minister to each and every one of us as we talk about this statement, as we talk about your word. May it shape us. May we be changed by it. May it challenge us. And if we struggle to understand it, if we struggle to even believe it, we pray that you would come alongside us and walk with us anyways. Help us anyways. Teach us in spite of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here in this moment, this difficult and dark moment of the cross, Jesus now turns his attention to his own present pain and agony. Whereas we had in the beginning where Jesus is praying for his enemies, those who are crucifying, where Jesus is, is concerned for the thief who is crying out to be remembered, where Jesus is concerned uh, with making a declaration to John and to Mary, his mother, and the women who have been gathered alongside them about the new family of God. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus seems to be keenly aware of his own pain and agony and this fourth statement hones in on how Jesus is feeling in this moment. And he makes this statement, whether this is intentional or unintentional, I would say probably it's intentional, but it is a quote of Psalm 22, verse 1. That David, the psalmist, uh, had written this beautiful poetry in Psalm 22, verse 1, in a difficult time of his own. And I would encourage you to go read the entire uh, chapter of Psalm 22. You'll see how David, unknowingly probably, is writing this beautiful psalm, and it is a prophetic declaration of Jesus. And here is Jesus now on the cross quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this statement that Jesus makes here is fairly difficult to understand. Matter of fact, Martin Luther, um, after spending hours and hours sitting with just this statement in study and meditation, uh, it's been recorded that he sat and he thought and he sat and he thought and without food and, and just sort of, sort of uh, meditating. What does this statement mean? And all of a sudden he arose and he said this, God forsaken of God, who can understand that? It's just to say that this is a complex statement of Jesus. 
And there's lots of information, lots of sermons, lots of exegesis, if you will, on this text. And so we're going to focus on one part of it this morning. But there's lots that can be said about this idea of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a difficult and complex text. And interestingly, this is the only statement of Jesus that's recorded by two different authors. So all of the other statements we find within the gospel accounts, but rarely are they, uh, or they're not really repeating each other. Uh, Luke may say a few things uh, or record a few things about what Jesus said. Uh, John records a few things about what Jesus said. But here we have Matthew and Mark recording the exact same statement of Jesus. And this is the only time that it happens. And this statement, both of them make it clear to us that this statement is made from the depths of darkness. That from about noon, darkness has settled in over um, the, the cross, over Calvary. Um, there is a, a darkness and a heaviness that is settling. You can imagine if you were there, the sense that you're feeling as these three are hanging on these crosses. And all of a sudden, at the noon hour, darkness settles in over the land. And then it's about the ninth hour, which is the 3 p.m. So for, for about three hours, there's been this heavy darkness all over the land. And at about 9 p.m., after the darkness has settled over, Jesus makes this declaration. And the scripture says that he cries aloud, or uh, Matthew says that he shouts out loud this statement, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And what's happening is there's a darkness that's settled over this land, not just physically, although it has happened physically, but also spiritually. And Fleming Rutledge says about this moment, she says, believe it or not, this saying from the cross is the saying to have if you're having only one. Like out of the depths of darkness, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Fleming Rutledge says, believe it or not, this saying from the cross is a saying to have if you're having only one saying. She goes on to say, it is the saying that causes us to tremble, but rightly understood. It is also the saying that brings the most comfort because it plums the most profound depth. We want to talk a little bit about that today. First of all, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, or in his original language, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God. Notice the difference in how Jesus is addressing God the Father. Throughout the gospel accounts, uh, Jesus almost exclusively addresses God as Father. But here in this moment, in great agony and pain, Jesus, his tone has changed. He shouts out, he cries aloud, my God, my God. I mean, even since the first statement on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or, or through the Garden of Gethsemane moments, right? When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that, that he's about ready to be given up, about ready to be betrayed by Judas, he prays to the Father, Father, if it's possible, 
let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. But see how he is addressing God as father in these moments. And in this moment now on the cross, in this ninth hour, this dark hour, this agonizing hour, the tone has changed. And Jesus is now saying, my God, my God. Perhaps this is the moment that Jesus was greatly stressed over in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is praying, the scripture says that his sweat became like great drops of blood because of the pressure and the stress of what he was preparing to face. Perhaps this was that moment, this moment on the cross in the darkest hour of the cross where Jesus is in the greatest amount of pain and agony as he himself is becoming sin. The Bible says he who knew no sin Paul said it like this, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Many believe that's what this moment is about, that Jesus is absorbing the sinfulness of the world, absorbing all of the darkest moments of the world, everything that the world has to offer in wickedness and sinfulness. Jesus is taking it upon himself willingly. Perhaps this is what Jesus was thinking about this moment when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and now in the moment, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And think about that question, why? Why? This is the question of all questions, especially in the face of tragedy, in the face of great pain. Why? Maybe you've had moments in your life where this was the only question you could ask. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why did this have to happen? Why God? Jesus is asking this same question. Why? It is a cry of desperation. It is a, it is a cry of hopelessness. It is a cry even of devastation. It's as if, as if, you couldn't catch your breath because the moment is so devastating. And the only question that can be asked is why? As I was reading through that, I was reminded of uh, the viral image that went out uh, of, of Michael Brown's dad uh, at his funeral, the graveside funeral in, in Ferguson. I don't know if you remember it, but his father was next to the casket of his son who had been murdered in the streets and his face is to the sky and his shirt is drenched in tears and sweat and agony. There's so much agony on Michael Brown Sr.'s face as he is lamenting the tragic death of his son. His face is to heaven and in my head I can hear him screaming, crying out, why? It's a cry that I've heard many, many times over the last nearly 30 years of ministry, too many times, honestly, calls to go to someone's house who has experienced tragedy and hearing, in particular, parents weeping, crying out, why? 
I think about um, one particular young lady who took her own life as I sat with her mother and her father on their couch and they just wept. Why? The depths of their anguish, the depths of their pain, it's hard to describe. The time when I was called to a house early in the morning because a young baby had died in the middle of the night from SIDS. And the mom, as we pulled up, was sitting in her front yard, tearing the grass from the yard, crying, screaming, why? Why? So many moments like that. And here is Jesus on the cross. Why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This word forsaken, it's a very, very strong word. Very strong word. And really the totality of its meaning is, is the sort of idea of abandoning someone in a state of defeat or helplessness um, in the midst of, a, of hostile circumstances. Let me say that again. The totality of its meaning is that of abandoning someone in a state of defeat or helplessness in the midst of hostile, hostile circumstances. And I want to share an example from scripture about this idea of being forsaken. It is, it's a difficult, disturbing example. And so I want to give a warning just right from the beginning here. Um, you may or may not want your children to hear this. It's, I'm, it's, it's a Bible account that I'm going to share, but it is a disturbing Bible account. And I had never heard, I had read this account Indeed, but I have never had never heard anyone preach on this account until recently when I heard a sermon from Cheryl Bridges Johns. And she shared this account. And as she shared, as I listened to this sermon, um, I was struck by the similarities of Jesus on the cross and this woman, this concubine from uh, Judges 19. And so I do want to tell you that I want to, I want to give you a fair warning for your own heart that, that in this story there is abuse and there is rape and it is completely disturbing, but I think that it's important to show what is happening here. So we're talking about an example of someone who has been forsaken, this idea of being abandoned in a state of defeat, in a state of helplessness, in the midst of hostile circumstances. In Judges chapter 19, I would encourage you to go read the story. I'm just going to tell it briefly here. In Judges 19, we have the, an account of a man known simply as the Levite who takes for himself a wife or a concubine known simply as the concubine. And something happens between the two of them, perhaps an abusive situation where she gets angry and she leaves the Levite and goes back to her own father. And she is there for four months when the Levite decides that he is going to go and see if he can win her back to come back home. And so he goes uh, to her father's house, uh, her father, his father-in-law, and he meets her there. Her, his father-in-law provides for him meals, and there's all this kind of stuff happening with 
with, I'm going to leave tomorrow. No, I'm going to leave later today. And the father-in-law is continually like trying to get him to stay. I don't know how much that has to do with the story. Regardless, when they go to leave, they leave together. The Levite, uh, his servant, at least one, and the concubine. And as they're going through, the servant asked to stay in a particular town. And the Levite says, no, let's go further. We'll go to Gibeah, I believe, is where they went to. And they get to Gibeah. They're sitting in sort of the town. The sun is going down. They're sitting in sort of the town square. And nobody's inviting them into their home, which is pretty unusual in that sort of culture. In that sort of culture, you would normally be, someone would see that you were in need and would invite you into their home. Hospitality is everything to them. And nobody's inviting them in. Finally, an old man comes in from the field and he says to them, what is it that you're doing here? Where have you come from? What is your plan? And they told them where, and he said, all of this is good. But you can't stay out here in the center of town. You can't stay in the town square. Come stay in my home. So he brings them, the Levite, the servant, the concubine, he brings them into his home. And he feeds them and he cares for them. The hospitality is beautiful. But as they're eating in the home, this sort of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah-esque, the Sodom and Gomorrah-like scenario happens. And that is a angry mob uh, begins to uh, surround the home and they bang on the door of this older man in Gibeah and says, they say to him, bring out this man who stayed in the town so that we can have our way with him. Uh, very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah, so that we can rape him. Um, and the old man is like, please, please, please do not do that. Do not dishonor this man. He is he is um, a guest in my home. If you dishonor him, you're dishonoring me. Please do not do this. And then he does something that I think is very strange. I think that it is strange in the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And it's strange in this story. And that is this. The man offers to them instead of the man who is the Levite man, he offers to them instead of the Levite man, his own virgin daughter and the Levite's concubine. He says, take these two and abuse them. Have your way with them. This is disgusting. This man is forsaking his own virgin daughter and the concubine of this Levite man. And the men are refusing. The mob, the angry mob is refusing this. And then finally the Levite, the, the implication, it seems that he sort of pushes his concubine out the door into the angry mob. And the scripture tells us that for, for all night that they abuse her and they rape her until the rising of the sun and at the, the dawn, they let her go. And she crawls her way back to the doorstep of this home, laying with her hands on the doorstep. And, and the Levite man opens the door that morning to leave and he sees her and he pokes at her. Come on, it's time to go. But she's dead. She's dead. The Levite man forsook her. 
He pushed her out the door. And the implication is that he went inside and just went to sleep, that he left her to the angry mob, that in the midst of this sort of uh, turmoil, he abandoned her in a state of helplessness in these hostile circumstances. She was forsaken by this Levite man. This poor concubine woman was forsaken. And she dies because he had forsaken her. This extremely disturbing story. This powerful Levite man offers and forsakes his vulnerable concubine wife as a sacrifice to the angry mobs. When I heard that sermon... My heart, my mind brought me back to Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this idea that Jesus aligns with her. That Jesus aligns with her. That Jesus is not counted with the powerful, like the Levite who closed the door and more than likely went inside and went to sleep. Jesus is not counted with that man. Jesus is counted. Jesus aligns himself with the forsaken. He aligns himself with this concubine woman who was forsaken by her own husband. Jesus is not counted with the powerful. No, Jesus lays down his own life to become the forsaken one. That he so aligns with the forsaken ones that he was willing to himself become. To lay down his own life to become the forsaken one. Remember, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down and I will pick it back up again. Meaning that he was willing to become forsaken. That he was willing willing to embrace this moment, this dark hour on the cross where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus aligns with her. And perhaps this statement, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, this my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Jesus crying out for all the forsaken ones. Jesus feeling the weight of forsakenness himself, but not just of his own forsakenness, but of the forsakenness of this concubine woman, the forsakenness of all those who've gone before him, the forsakenness of all those who would come after him and be forsaken, be left, be abandoned, be left in defeat and helplessness and hopelessness that Jesus was making this cry, this prayer for not only himself, but for all of us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Willing to bear the pain of every single abandoned one. Perhaps in this moment, in this statement, this is God's willingness to suffer for us and with us. In this moment, is God's willingness to remember us 
in our darkest hours. That in this moment, it's God's way of telling us that he will be near to the brokenhearted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is near to, aligns with those who have been forsaken. Those who have experienced the depths, the darkest of tragedies. Jesus is near. Jesus knows our pain. And Jesus is the healing balm for that pain. As I said earlier, it's heavy, I know. But I don't want to resolve the tension of this heaviness today. Let us think about Jesus himself, the Son of God, hanging on the cross, feeling the forsakenness of the world and even of God, and crying out. He's crying out for you and for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's pray. Lord, we sit with heavy hearts. The cross, when we meditate upon it, when we look upon it, when we think upon the things that were said, it is so heavy. It is a a beautiful tragedy. We, we recognize the beauty in it now because of the salvation that we have received through Jesus Christ. But we, we have to reckon with the tragedy of Christ on the cross. And so, Lord, we sit with this heaviness. We pray, God, that you would speak. Holy Spirit, come and brood over our hearts. Come and, 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 and do deep work within us around this idea of forsakenness, feeling forsaken even, that you will come to us. That Scripture says that you stick closer than a brother, that you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us. We're grateful for that. Be near to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.